Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson presented by Sheikh Muhammad Duar. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihuda amma ba'd. My dearly respected brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Tonight, by the will of Allah Almighty, we will be covering a topic or a lesson which most of you would have seen on the flyer which is titled 10 things have killed your hearts 10 things have killed your hearts when we begin the talk inshallah you will notice that these are not my words i chose the title but this statement 10 things have killed your hearts was actually said by one of the great imams of the past rahimahullah and the reason why we chose this topic is because of the importance of the heart and the importance of focusing on the heart because the heart my dear brothers and sisters in islam it is the most important organ of the body and nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said verily in the body there is an organ if it is upright the rest of the body is upright and if it is corrupt the rest of the body is corrupt and that is the heart for islam as a deen it came to purify and fix the hearts of mankind. This was one of the objectives of our deen. To fix the hearts and to purify them. For we must always focus on our heart. And that is why the heart has actions. There are actions of the heart. Worships that you do with your heart such as ikhlas and tawakkul, reliance and raja, hope and fi khawf this all stems from the heart and Allah Azza wa Jal does not look at your bodies as the hadith mentions he does not look at your wealth or your bodies but rather he looks at your hearts so the importance of the heart is known in Islam now this topic, 10 things have killed your heart. This was a quote by one of the great Imams of the Salaf, of the pious predecessors, by the name of Ibrahim ibn Adham, rahimahullah. Ibrahim ibn Adham, my dear brothers and sisters, just like any scholar from the Salaf, we always recommend that you read upon their lives. If you want to soften your heart, read the lives of the pious predecessors. When we get busy and occupied with the dunya and the rat race, as they call it, it's always very beneficial to go back to the early scholars and just read about their lives. 
it brings you back to reality. It really does. And that's why their lives have been written in books for us to remember what it means to be a abd of Allah, what it means to abandon the dunya, what it means to be content with what Allah has given you. They were the perfect example of all of this. So Ibrahim ibn Adham rahimahullah, you can read up about his life. He was from the great imams. He was born 100 Hijri. So 100 years after the Hijrah, very early, from the, the ulama of the second century. So he's from the Salaf. And he died 162 Hijri. So he lived for approximately 62 years. He traveled to Mecca. And when he went to Mecca, he became close friends with two giants. We call them giants of knowledge. Sufyan al-Thawri and al-Fudayl ibn Iyad. Rahimahumullah. The fact that he was their companions speaks volumes of him because these were from the biggest of the ulama in that time. Sufyan al-Thawri and al-Fudayl ibn Iyad. And Ibrahim ibn Adham, subhanallah, his father was a very rich man. But he chose to have nothing to do with wealth in this world. Personal choice. He could have if he wanted, but he didn't. He was actually poor. He was very poor. And he's what the ulama called a zahid. Someone who had little concern for this world. And there's many stories about the great Imam Ibrahim ibn Adham. We'll mention only one before we get into our topic. Ibrahim ibn Adham, rahimahullah, he was once traveling with his companion, a friend. And he stopped by a barber. And he told his friend, I want to get my hair cut and I want to do hijama. Because the Baba cuts the hair and he does the hijama. Back then, this was a common practice. So they both walked into the barber shop. And the barber that was working, he frowned upon them from how poor they looked. And the barber actually said, You didn't find any shop except mine. Why did you come here? Like, subhanAllah, pure arrogance. Only because they looked poor. So Ibrahim ibn Adham's friend, he got upset. He didn't want to cut his hair there. Ibrahim said, no, I'm going to cut my hair. He cut his hair and he done the hijama. And the barber did not even consider them in the shop. It's like he was looking down upon them. When he finished, Ibrahim pulled out everything in his pocket. Everything. More than what the Baba had asked for. And he gave it to him. So when he left, his friend said to him, why did you do that? That man didn't deserve that. So Ibrahim said to his friend, he said, Wallahi, I only done that so that that man never looks down upon someone poor again. Subhanallah. Look at the vision. Look at the humbleness. 
Because in Islam, we do not look down upon people because of their status or their wealth or whatever else. For he wanted to teach this man a beautiful lesson in a beautiful way. Back to our topic. Ibrahim ibn Adham, he said these words, Ten things have killed your hearts. The question is, why did he say it? He was walking in the marketplace in a marketplace in Basra, in Iraq. And when he was there, the people knew of him because he was a great man with great knowledge. So the people in the marketplace in Basra, they gathered around him. And they started asking him questions. One of the questions that they asked him, they said, Ya Abba Ishaq, that was his kunya, Abu Ishaq. They said, Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran, He says, Ud'uni astajib lakum. Call upon me and I will answer you. This is what Allah says in the Quran. So they asked Ibrahim, Why is it that when we make dua to Allah, He is not answering our dua? Look at their question. Allah says, call me, I will answer. Why are we making dua and Allah is not answering? So then Ibrahim, rahimahullah, he replied to them and he said, because ten things have killed your hearts. Ten things have killed your hearts, which is preventing your dua from being answered. And that's the topic. We will cover briefly, inshallah, each one of those 10 points. The first thing he said, the first point from the affairs that have killed the people's hearts, he said, because you know Allah, but you do not fulfill his rights. This was his first point. You know who Allah is, but yet you do not give Allah his haqq. Knowing Allah is what is called in Arabic ma'rifatullah. Ma'rifatullah is a great act of worship to know who Allah Azza wa Jal is. And you only know who Allah is through knowledge, by learning about Allah. It's common sense. To know something, you must learn about it. So to have true knowledge of Allah is to learn His names and His attributes, to learn all the knowledge that leads you to Allah. Because knowledge on its own, my brothers and sisters, is not beneficial. Knowledge on its own is not beneficial. But when the knowledge leads you to Allah to obey Him, now it's beneficial knowledge. Because the truth of the matter is, many know who Allah is, but they did not worship Him. Like Quraysh. Quraysh knew who Allah is. Allah says it in the Quran. If you ask them who created the heavens and the earth, they'll say Allah. 
But their knowledge of Allah, did it benefit them? Of course not. Iblis, the shaitan knows Allah. He spoke to Allah. Did it benefit him? No. So true knowledge of Allah is the knowledge of Allah that leads you to him. This is what the ulama say. When you learn about Allah and that knowledge leads you to worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the best way to know who Allah is, is by learning his asma wa sifat, his names and his attributes. And by pondering over his signs. And Allah has two types of signs. He has the revelation signs, which is the Quran and the Sunnah. And he has the universal signs. The sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens, the earth, the trees, the ocean. Allah talks about these things a lot of times in the Quran. Because when you ponder over them, it teaches you who the Khaliq Allah is. So Imam Ibrahim rahimahullah, is telling the people, one of the things that has killed your heart is that you know who Allah is. You know that you have a Lord that you must worship, but you do not give him his rights. So the question is, what is the right of Allah? What is Allah's right upon us? Does anyone know? What is Allah Azza wa Jal's right upon us? Not to associate partners. Excellent. To worship Allah without associating any partners with Him. To worship Allah without associating partners with Him. That's Allah's right upon us. Okay, another question. Do we have a right upon Allah? Allah's right upon us is that we worship Him without associating any partners. Do we have any rights upon Allah as a creation? Yes? No? Yes? What's our right upon Allah? Huh? Excellent. Our right upon Allah is that He does not punish whoever does not associate partners with Him. This came in the hadith of Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. He said, do you know what Allah's right upon us is? Mu'adh said, Allah and his messenger know best. He said that we worship him and not associate partners with him. He then said, do you know what our right upon Allah is? He said, no. He said that he doesn't punish anyone who does not associate partners with him. So as long as you have tawheed, it is your right upon Allah that he does not punish you. And that's from Allah's mercy. That's a gift from Allah. It's not a right that is forced upon Allah. Allah chose that to be a right from Himself. So having knowledge of Allah is very important. But no matter how much knowledge you have of Allah, you can never have all the complete knowledge of Allah. We only know about Allah what He informed us. But we can never encompass everything about Allah. Allah says this in the Quran. He knows, Allah knows what is before them and what is after them. 
but they do not encompass him in knowledge. We can't. We only know what Allah tells us. Number two. So this is the first killer of the hearts. When the people know who Allah is, but they do not give him his rights. He said in number two, you claim to love the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yet you abandon his sunnah. Subhanallah. Another destroyer of the heart. You claim to love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but you abandon his sunnah. How many people, my dear brothers and sisters, day and night, they claim that they love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but they abandon his sunnah. Is this not a contradiction? Of course it's a contradiction. How can we claim love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but yet we abandon his sunnah? And Allah says in the Quran, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبُكُمُ اللَّهِ Say, if you truly love Allah, then follow me, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and Allah will love you in return. It is impossible to have true love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam except by following him and implementing his way. That's the greatest sign of love. The greatest sign of love for someone is to copy them. So your love for Rasulullah is by implementing his sunnah. Not as what some people do. They use innovation and use that innovation to claim they love Rasulullah What a contradiction. Like celebrating the Prophet birthday. A perfect example. You ask a person that celebrates his birthday, why do you celebrate his birthday? They say, because we love him. So loving the Prophet is shown by innovating in his religion. How does that make sense? True love for the Prophet is by following his sunnah. And this is what the pious predecessors taught us. Like Ibrahim ibn Adham rahimahullah here. You claim to love the messenger, but you abandon his sunnah. So it is important, my dear brothers, that if we truly say, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, if we truly take the Prophet as the final messenger of Allah, that we follow him in his way. Because he was the example sent to mankind to be followed. Number three. He then said, the third killer of the heart. You recite the book of Allah Azza wa Jal, but you do not act upon it. Allahu Akbar. Wallahi, this Imam, it's like he's hitting the nail on the head. You recite the Quran, 
but you do not implement it. You do not act upon it. How many focus on the recitation of the Qur'an and memorizing the Qur'an, but when it comes to implementing the laws of the Qur'an, they are very far. Once again, what's the benefit? The Qur'an was not sent down just to be recited, my dear brothers. It was sent down to be implemented. And that's why Aisha radiallahu anha, when she was asked, how was the Prophet sallallahu khuluq, his manners? She said, his manners was the Qur'an. Meaning he lived by the Qur'an. You can see the effect of the Qur'an in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But to recite the Qur'an without implementation is not beneficial at all. And this is what the Imam is saying. On the contrary, there are those who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described when he spoke about the khawarij. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he spoke about the khawarij that would come out, the extremists, what was their quality that he described them as? He described them with a number of qualities. One of them was, they recite the book of Allah, but it does not pass their throats. Meaning, they're very firm in reading and reciting and memorizing the Qur'an, but it doesn't pass their throats, meaning it doesn't reach their heart. They don't implement it. And that's why the khawarij are who they are. They're very, or they were and are very firm in worship, but implementing the verses and the hadiths. As Allah revealed them, they don't do that. So reciting the Qur'an without implementation is frowned upon. And we know on the day of judgment, Allah Azza wa Jal ignites hellfire with three men, three types of people. The first three people to be thrown into the hellfire, one of them is a qari', a reciter, meaning a person of knowledge or a Qur'an reciter. And when Allah Azza wa Jal asks him, why did you recite? He says, so the people can hear, or for the sake of your word. And then Allah says, you're a liar. You recited, so people can say, he has a beautiful voice, and he is a qari'. So once again, reciting with no implementation is of no benefit. If anything, it's harmful. It will harm the person in the next life. So when we recite the Qur'an, we should also implement the Qur'an. And reciting the Qur'an has huge benefits. And Nabi said, whoever recites a letter from the Qur'an receives a hasana. And a hasana is multiplied by ten. And I do not say that alif lam mim is a hasana or is a letter. Rather, alif is a letter and lam is a letter and mim is a letter. So the reward is unlimited when you recite the book of Allah.
So we should be encouraged to recite the Qur'an, but we should also be encouraged to implement the Qur'an. Number four. He continues and he says, You eat the ni'mah from Allah, but you do not thank Him for it. You eat the blessings from Allah, but you do not thank Him for it. The blessings of Allah, my dear brothers and sisters, are not limited to the food that He gives you. Everything from Allah is a ni'mah. And if you try to count them, you can't. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَإِن تَعُدُّ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا If you try to count the blessings of Allah, you cannot. Allah's blessings upon us are too much. So Allah blesses us daily with everything. Whether it's your health, your wealth, your offspring, your body, your lungs pumping air, your heart pumping blood. These are all blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yes, He blesses us with food. So Allah gives us His ni'mah and we do not thank Him for it. This is what the Imam is telling these people who are asking, why is our dua not accepted? How many people forget to thank Allah? Or even worse, how many people do not even attribute the ni'mah to Allah? Some people think it's his intellect, or it's my job, or my degree, or whatever it is. I earned this. Me. And they do not attribute the ni'mah to Allah. And they do not thank him for it. Even Allah in the Qur'an, he said, Few of my servants are thankful. Only a few. So you better try to be from those few, my dear brothers. Because Allah Azza wa Jal deserves to be thanked. And you should even ask Allah to give you the strength to thank Him. That came in the hadith. What's one of the dua you say after the fard prayer? Ahsant. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said to Mu'adh, radiyallahu anhu, Ya Mu'adh, by Allah I love you. Can you imagine the Prophet saying that to you? He loved Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiyallahu anhu, because Mu'adh, he was from the scholars of the Sahaba, very knowledgeable. And you should also read up about Mu'adh, radiyallahu anhu. Even the Sahaba said, we used to compare Mu'adh to the Prophet Ibrahim salam. He reminded us of Ibrahim. And he died very young. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu was approximately 36 years old when he passed away. The Prophet said to him, Mu'adh, by Allah I love you. He said, do not leave any salah from the fard without saying, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik.
This dua, what does it mean? Oh Allah, a'inni, help me, assist me, give me strength to remember you and to thank you and to perfect my worship towards you. This is a dua which is sunnah to say after every fard prayer. Look what you're asking Allah. Give me the strength to thank you. Because not many thank Allah for the blessings. And even worse than that is the one that uses the blessings to disobey him. This is from the utmost disrespect. That Allah blesses someone with something and then that ni'mah that Allah gives them, they use it to disobey him. What's a perfect example? Wealth. Allah opens the doors of wealth on a abd. Then that wealth, he uses it to disobey Allah. He uses it in haram. Health. Allah blesses someone with good health. He uses that health to disobey Allah. A female. Or a male, but a female. Allah gives her beauty. She's very pretty and attractive. She uses that blessing to disobey Allah. Exposing her beauty and being uncovered and whatever else. Aisha radiallahu anha. And subhanallah how great of a lady she was. Our mother. She said in a beautiful statement. She said if you cannot thank Allah for the ni'mah. Don't use the ni'mah to disobey him. What a beautiful advice. But we must be thankful to Allah. And when you're thankful to Allah, he increases you. How beautiful is Allah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ تَأَذَّنَ رَبُّكُمْ لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ Allah calls and he says, if you thank your Lord, He will increase you. And how do you thank Allah? With three things. The heart, by acknowledging that this blessing is from Allah. By the tongue, by saying, Allahumma laka shukr, walhamd. You thank Him with your tongue and with your limbs. By obeying Allah. This is how you thank Allah. With these three things. As Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentioned. Number five. He said, You claim that shaitan is your enemy, yet you agree with him. Subhanallah. Everyone claims shaitan is their enemy. They hate shaitan. But how many are obeying and following shaitan? Many. And this is what the imam is saying. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ فَاتَّخِذُوهُ عَدُوًا Verily the shaitan is an enemy to you. So take him as an enemy. How do you take shaitan as an enemy? By being a good servant of Allah Azza wa Jal. There's no two paths. 
A person is either a servant of Allah or a servant of the shaitan. A soldier of Allah or a soldier of shaitan. There's no, there's no third path. And the shaitan is an enemy. He plots and he plans. But when we follow all of our desires and we follow Iblis by disobeying Allah, how can we claim we're taking shaitan as an enemy? We cannot make that claim. For Allah tells us he's a adu. And what should you do with an enemy? You avoid them. You counter them. And you only be an enemy to shaitan by being a servant to Allah. There's no other way. Some brothers and sisters, they would live a life of jahiliyyah. And this we've come across a lot. Where we've had brothers who have lived in a life of haram for a long time. And then subhanallah, Allah Azza wa Jal bestows upon them a tawbah. They repent. And they return back to Allah Azza wa Jal. They begin to pray, fast, attend the masjid, listen to lessons, and so forth. And then you will hear from many of them, they would say, Sheikh, when I was living in corruption, I felt normal. Like I had wealth, I was comfortable, and whatever else. And then when they repent back to Allah Azza wa Jal, they start going through hardships in life. Whether they get tested in their wealth, in their health, in any type of test, they experience hardship. And a lot of times I ask why. The answer is very simple. Because when you live a life of jahiliyyah, you're agreeing with shaitan. Shaitan has no need to poke you when you're already on his side. But once you decide to take him as an enemy, this is where shaitan wakes up. And that's where he will start his work and his attack. So we tell our brothers and sisters what you're going through is actually a good thing. It's a sign that you've taken shaitan as an enemy. This is our deen. The devil is an enemy. We must take him as one by disobeying him and fighting against his whispers and his misconceptions and what he calls to. This is jihad. Fighting against shaitan. Number six. He said, you say or you claim that paradise is haq but you do not work for it. 
you claim that Jannah is Haqq. Every Muslim believes in Jannah. You ask any Muslim, is there a paradise? Yes. Ever since we were small, we all learn about paradise. He says, but you do not work for it. And that's another point. How many are truly working to earn their position in paradise? Because paradise, my dear brothers, does not come easy. Paradise, as the hadith mentions, it is surrounded with hardships. To gain Jannah, you must go through hardship. And hellfire is surrounded by desires. It's easy to fall into. Just following the desires leads to hellfire. So Jannah, my brothers and sisters, it requires work. It requires dedication. It requires time. Yani, subhanallah, the best way to remember or put it is to think about the work that you do in this dunya. Think about your job. We put in a lot of hours at work to earn what? A paycheck at the end of the week. A lot of work for a paycheck. Imagine a paradise that is eternal. Does that not require work? Of course it does. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Verily, the property of Allah is expensive. Verily, the property of Allah is Jannah. Jannah is expensive, my dear brothers. It's very expensive. Jannah is earned with your worship, with fighting your nafs, with fighting your desires, with giving up and sacrificing for Allah, giving your wealth, even your blood and your life. And even all of that is cheap for an eternal paradise. That's the reality. An eternal paradise, my dear brothers. After Allah spoke about paradise, He said, لِمِثْلِ هَذَا فَلْيَعْمَلِ الْعَامِلُونَ For the likes of this, let the workers work for. He called them workers. Because Jannah requires work. When you're worshipping Allah, you're a worker. But you're not working for this world. You're working for the Akhirah. For your next life. And a beautiful story on this point here is a story that happened with the great sheikh of our time, the Imam Muhammad um, ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, the great scholar ibn Uthaymin. Ibn Uthaymin, he was from the area known as Qasim in Saudi Arabia. That was where he lived and resided. It's mentioned that one time the prince of that area went to visit Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin in his house. And when the prince got to his house, he literally thought he was at a wrong address. Because Ibn Uthaymin, mashallah, is a big alim. 
He thought he was at the wrong address from how humble the sheikh's house was. So when he went in, he spoke to the sheikh about his house and he said, Sheikh, I refuse for you to live in a house like this. This is the prince of, of Qasim. He said, I refuse that you live in a place like this. I'm personally going to give X amount of money for you to have a new house built. So Ibn Uthaymin said to him, no. He said, that money, there's a suburb in one area. They need a masjid there. Go build a masjid instead. He goes, I'll build the masjid, but I insist on building you a house. The sheikh said, you don't need to. He said, I'm already building one. He goes, are you building a house? He goes, yeah, I'm already building a house. He goes, okay. After a period of time went past, the prince noticed that the sheikh still in the same house. So he said, sheikh, you told me you were building a house. He said, I am. But I didn't mean in this world. He's working for the next life. It's a true story with Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah. For my dear brothers and sisters, Jannah is not cheap. And you as a Muslim, not only should you aim for paradise, you should always aim for the highest. We should have high expectations and set high goals. We should not be satisfied with just entering Jannah. You know, sometimes you hear that humble statement, which yeah, there might be some truth to it. That wallah, if I enter Jannah crawling, I'm happy. Of course, you will be happy if you enter Jannah even crawling. But why should that be your aim? How come when it comes to dunya, we aim very high? I want the best job. I want the best degree. But when it comes to paradise, we want to be humble. And say, I mean, if I enter crawling, I'm happy. The Prophet ﷺ said, if you ask Allah for paradise, ask him for the firdaus, which is the highest form of paradise. This is what we should be aiming for. For Jannah requires work. But as the Imam is saying, we claim that paradise is truth, but we do not act for it. Number seven. You say that hellfire is true, but you do not flee from it. The opposite of paradise. You claim hellfire is haq, but in your actions, you're not avoiding hellfire. If anything, most people are running towards hellfire. And we all know how severe hellfire is, my dear brothers and sisters. We know that it is a severe punishment. Verily, the punishment of your Lord is most severe. No one can punish like Allah. And we ask Allah to protect us from His punishment. But my dear brothers and sisters, this is a sad reality. Many of us know hellfire, but we are not running away from it. We are not fleeing from it. Even the verse is very scary where Allah Azza wa Jal says, Kullu nafsin maut, wa Allah says, 
Allah says, every soul will taste death and you will be given your full compensation on the day of resurrection. But look what Allah says, فَمَنْ زُحْزِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ وَأُدْخِلَ الْجَنَّةِ فَقَدْ فَازِ Whoever is drawn away from the hellfire and admitted into paradise has succeeded. The scholar said this verse here shows how close hellfire is to everyone. Because Allah is saying, He didn't say whoever is saved from hellfire, He said whoever is drawn away from it. That shows that hellfire is close, my brothers. And people get close to it. So whoever is drawn away from it and put into Jannah has succeeded. Wallahi, that is scary. That's a scary verse. The fact that people need to be drawn away from the hellfire shows how close it is to many. For we must fear Allah and fear His punishment. The Prophet the Sahaba, as they mentioned, when he spoke about the hellfire, he looked to the side and they saw in his face as though he was looking at it. His face changed. Because remember, Nabi Allah showed him hellfire. He saw it. They said he looked to the side and we could see in his face as though he's looking at it. And then he said to them, fear the hellfire even with half a date of charity. Even if it's half a date. But do what you can to protect yourself from the hellfire. Even if it's giving half a date in charity. For just as we work to attain paradise, you have to also work to save yourself from the fire. And you achieve that by overcoming your whims and your desires. Because that's what leads to hellfire. Number eight. You claim that death is truth. But you do not prepare for it. Allahu Akbar. Can anyone deny that death is truth? No. Kullu nafsin Every soul shall taste death. Everyone knows death is haq, but who prepares for it? Preparing for death means you obey Allah. So that when death comes to you, Allah takes your soul nice and softly. And the malaika come and they give you the glad tidings. And it's all uphill. From there. Or downhill. What's the same? Uphill or downhill? Uphill. For death, my dear brothers, it requires preparation. Even some of the Sahaba, they used to think about death and prepare for death that much that they used to actually prepare their shrouds even though it's not a sunnah or recommended, but some of the sahaba, they did that. There's a hadith, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we know that the Prophet sallallahu he was a zahid. He had no concern for the dunya. 
The Prophet wasallam, a lady came up to him and she made him a garment. She made it specifically for Rasulullah It was an izar, a bottom piece that you wear. So the Prophet wasallam, accepted it from her. And he wore it and he went out on the mimbar and he gave a khutbah. And it was a garment that the Prophet wasallam, needed because he did not have much from the dunya by choice. After he finished his khutbah, one of the sahaba came up to him and he said to him, Ya Rasulullah, give me that garment. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, yes. The Prophet ﷺ went in his house, took it off, folded it, and gave it to the man. When the Prophet ﷺ was in his house doing that, the other companion said to that man, you've done something bad. He said, what do you mean? They said, why would you ask Rasulullah ﷺ for that garment when you know he needs it, and you also know that the Prophet ﷺ never says no to anyone. Allahu Akbar, what a character. What akhlaq. So then the man said to them, By Allah, I only asked him for it because I want it to be my shroud when I die. And subhanAllah, when he died, it was his shroud. But look at their preparation for death us we forget we forget death but it's a reality that comes and death does not send you a notice it does not differentiate between the young or the old the healthy the sick everyone passes away when Allah chooses but we must prepare for it so that it does not fall upon us suddenly when we are in a state of disobedience. This is the true loss. Number nine. He said, you wake up from your sleep. You wake up in the morning. You occupy yourselves with other people's faults. And you forget your own faults. Subhanallah. Another calamity. People forgetting their own faults and focusing on the faults of others. Imam al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah, he said, O son of Adam, you will never reach the reality of Iman. Al-Hasan al-Basri is saying what? You will never reach the reality of Iman until you avoid faulting the people for a fault that you have within yourself until you begin to fix that fault from yourself. He then said, and if you do so, you become occupied with yourself and you forget the faults of the people. And the person who is like this is the most beloved to Allah Azza wa Jal. The person needs to focus on himself before he focuses on others.
He needs to focus on his own faults before he focuses on others. Yes, our deen is about enjoining the good and forbidding the evil and advising one another. There's no doubt about that. And no person is perfect. We are not neglecting the side of the deen which tells us to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. But some people have a sickness of always searching to criticize others and they do not ever reflect or ponder over their own self. And this is a sickness. This is a marad. And the Salaf al-Salih were never like that. They always focused on themselves before looking at others. And the final point, my dear brothers and sisters, number 10. He said, you bury your dead, but you do not take them as an example. You place the dead in the grave, but that reality, you do not take it as an example for yourself. And how factual is this? We see it today. People getting buried. People are passing away in large numbers. And people's hearts are not moving. Even when they go to the graveyard, you witness laughter and joking as if it's a, a get-together and whatever else. They forget the reality of the moment. But that's why visiting the grave is a sunnah. And it's good. You have been occupied with gathering wealth and the dunya. This has occupied you until you visit the graves. Because genuinely, when people visit the grave, they remember death. It reminds us of that reality. That we will all be placed in that hole. And that's what it means to be a Muslim. A person of Iman, he takes Ibra, example, from the deceased. That he knows one day he's following in that path. That hole, one day I will be in it. And when you truly think this way, you forget the importance or the significance of this world. And that's very important to have that reminder. Even the dua when you enter a graveyard reminds you. You make salam to the deceased believers. And then you say, use other forerunners. And we will follow you. That's the sunnah. That we remember we are following. And one day we will be in that grave. So for a person to witness death, to go to the graveyard, to place someone in the grave and not have their heart moved by remembering this reality, this is a sign of a sick heart. Because a heart of Iman remembers that moment. 
and how many of the pious predecessors they would remember death and they would remember the grave and they will be different people. They would cry the nights in worship to Allah Azza wa Jal. One of the Salafus Salih, his wife described him in bed like a peanut in a pan. When you put a peanut in a pan, it flips. She would say, my husband was always very unsettled in bed. And then he would get up and he would say, remembering death has made me lose sleep. And then he will go to his prayer section and pray. Who lives like this anymore? Wallahi, the dunya, it sucks people in. And it distracts us from this reality. We forget. And Allah says it. You get occupied. You forget until you visit the graves. But it's good. And it's encouraged, my brothers, that we visit the graves. Because it reminds us of this reality. So these were the 10 points by the great Imam, Rahimahullah, for 10 things that have killed the hearts of people. And that was his answer when they asked him, why is our dua not answered? We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to purify and rectify our hearts. Wallahu alam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.